0: to the Gospel of John chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible with you, there should be one near you in one of the pew racks. And I would encourage you not only to follow as I read, uh, but to keep the Bible open, for the message will simply develop the text. John 6, verses 60 to 71 is the text I will be reading. John 6, verses 63 to 69. When you have found your place, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus therefore said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you. You may be seated. In the final analysis, Christianity is not a philosophy which we accept. It is not a theory to which we give allegiance. It is not even a system of truth and logic, nor is it simply an intellectual pursuit. Christianity is personal response to the magnetic power of Jesus Christ that yields itself in personal allegiance to him which shows itself in love which we give to him because having been captured by him we can do no other the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in themselves are enough to prove that he is the son of the living God And in these verses, and the ones that have preceded them, having discussed that, the Lord Jesus will go on to say that events, not only the words, but the events that will close His life and begin the new era of His resurrection will prove it. But in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, in their cool depth, the weary soul can bathe. Through their pure glow, The dark days of life are illumined with heavenly light and by their power our hearts are drawn until we fall at His feet. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. His words are gracious words. His words are... Authoritative. His words are timeless and yet contemporary They are also the words of the Father And they are truly the words of life In these verses this morning, John 6, 60-71 As we consider words of life It is a very poignant occasion For as Jesus has begun to open up more fully His ways and His will, as He has begun to make His message clear, those who were willing to accept Him on the basis of what they expected out of Him begin to fall away until it seems as if there may not be anybody left. And many of His disciples withdrew from Him. Notice first of all in verses 60 through 65 of John chapter 6, the words of life from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ are difficult words, difficult words. It says in verse 60, now this is following the occasion where he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And it says in verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And the word translated difficult, scleros, does not mean hard to understand. It doesn't mean that. They are not saying, Lord, your words are so strange and otherworldly that they do me no good. Rather, the word means specifically that these words were hard to accept and hard to tolerate. It ran exactly contrary to their human nature. It gave them a mystery which they had difficulty accepting. William Barclay made this statement about these verses. When we begin to think honestly about the matter, we are bound to see that at the heart of our faith there must be mystery for the single reason that at the heart of our faith there is God. It is in the nature of things that the ways of God can never be grasped by the human mind. Any honest believer will accept The mystery. The problem was not that they did not fully understand. Oh, there was the mysterious element. But the greater problem was that they did not accept it. They had expected a Messiah made in a certain image and they were holding to their image. They would now, many of them at least, go and look elsewhere for a teacher, for a leader, for one who would be... Messiah. They knew what he was saying I think many of them undoubtedly knew that he was headed for disaster And they wanted to get out before it was too late They knew what he said but they rebelled against it It's very easy for us to read something like this And wonder how could they do that How could they not see what they had And understand that he was the only way But it is not abnormal It's not correct But unfortunately it is is fairly normal for Christians We seem to think That we may take the words and the ways of God Like a cafeteria line And pick the items that we choose But we cannot If we could completely understand God, he would cease to be God. He would just be an oversized man, just different than us in size and power and not in kind. But because he is God, we cannot and we will not ever understand it all. You know, we expect the enemies of God to rebel, but even his followers can and do fall away. And I am afraid that it will always be so. Here are many of the same ones wanting Christ to rule the nation, wanting Christ to feed them, wanting Christ to eliminate the power of their enemies, wanting Him according to their preconceived ideas and not according to His nature. But there is a characteristic of God That there are certain things that God cannot do and one of those things is God cannot ever cease to be Himself. He can never cease to be God. And those who insist on trying to shape Him according to their desires are only making it harder on themselves. Now Jesus goes on to say in verses 61 and 62, Conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, he said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before? A part of their messianic expectation was that Messiah would be a a ruler king. He would establish a kingdom. He would defeat their enemies. He would sit in Jerusalem on the throne of David. And he had gone exactly across that expectation saying that his explicit purpose in coming was to die for sin. And he said to them, If you cannot accept me as one who is not a ruler over you, how will you feel when I not only decline to rule, but I go to where I came from? I ascend to my Father. If you think this is tough, he was saying, wait until you see the death, the burial, even the resurrection and ascension. The practical difficulty that I believe most people have in coming to faith and fellowship in the Lord Jesus Christ is twofold. First of all, it involves an act of surrender. It involves a giving up of sovereignty to Him. It involves an act of vulnerability, of the greatest vulnerability, to put ourselves totally in His hands, to give Him our lives, body, and soul. And that is exactly the opposite of our native human nature. And beyond that, Christianity, though we do not, have a checklist of righteousness that determines whether or not we are saved. Because the life of the Lord Jesus Christ is planted within us, it is not acceptable to God for a Christian to live any way other than morally pure. You know, the deviant religions that have spun off of some kind of a base from Christianity involve always a denigration, a bringing down of Jesus Christ from his position of sovereignty. And they generally involve a way to get around the standards of moral purity that Jesus set as our example. The first and great heresy of the first century was that Gnostic heresy which showed itself in several ways but one of the characteristics of that Gnosticism was that only the spiritual is the true reality. The body will pass away. The body is inherently evil. It doesn't matter what you do with your body because it is your spirit where you relate to God. And that of course is exactly opposite of the truth the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is the guarantee that all of His claims and all of His promises are true. And in verse 63, He says that the flesh is of no use, for it is the Spirit that gives life. In John 3:6 He said, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. In Galatians 3, Paul said to them, Uh, Who has drawn you away so quickly? You have seen the truth of the gospel, Christ before your eyes portrayed as crucified and resurrected as Savior, and yet you are going aside after other ways. How did you come to Him? How have you so soon turned away from Him? The flesh is of no use. Of no use. Now there are those in the Christian family, in fact, and frankly... In uh, raw numbers, it is the huge majority of Christian communities in the earth that see some kind of a, a saving value in the practice of the Lord's Supper or communion. The statement the Lord Jesus makes about the flesh is a part of the same statement He made about eating His flesh and taking His blood. And so he is coming back to say it is not the ritual, it is not the form, it is rather the meaning that is important, that gives life. Taking the Lord's Supper is not a sacrament. It does not communicate saving grace. It is a memorial, a memorial only. And yet even among those of us who do not hold it to be that way. There is somehow, some way, some comfort taken in receiving Christian baptism and partaking of the Lord's Supper as if that had the value. It does not. We do in obedience follow Him in baptism. We do in memorial, in remembrance, in solemn and serious reflection partake of His table, but it is His grace, imparted to us by His Spirit as we come to Him in faith that brings us to God. And for the Jews who followed Jesus, many of His disciples went back and withdrew from Him. These were indeed very difficult words. Only in Christ can we achieve the purpose of this life which is to glorify God. Only in Him can we have the power To meet all of the obstacles that we face Only through Christ can we achieve the will of God His words always carry with them The power to obey The power to perform As He has commanded His words were for them And they are still difficult words But then notice in verses 66 and 67 his words were dividing words as a result many withdrew they were not walking with him anymore and jesus said to the disciples you don't want to go away also do you the defection was so general that it apparently was, might, uh, looked as though it might become complete. But John makes it very clear through the words of Jesus that this was not a surprise to him because he knew what was inside all of them from the beginning. Unbelief is the natural response of humanity to God and Jesus will reiterate the fact that without the aid and the drawing of the Holy Spirit no one would come to God they were naturally doing what they were As I've studied this passage again this week I reflected on having read uh, through the books of Moses recently and the times when God said to Moses about the nation of Israel Stand away from this people Let me destroy them and I will make of you a greater nation than they And as God tested the resolve and the commitment of Moses in that way He nonetheless stated a truth At no time did the work of Jesus Christ depend on a human being what if they did all go away what if they had would that have been the end of him not at all he would have gone on he could have started over but in his great heart of grace and mercy he worked with who he had to work with because they like us We're human all the way through. And in the final analysis, it is not the excellence of humanity that gives assistance to God. It is the sheer uncut grace of God which gives value and excellence to any of us. Great things had happened in the ministry of Jesus as we have followed Him thus far in John from His baptism. We have seen uh, miracles performed. We have seen great crowds fed. We have heard words from His ears that are marvelous. And yet the greater the works were, the greater the ministry was, the more the problems multiplied. One of my friends who is a famous preacher... Several months after his first big break, if you look at it in those terms, I was talking to him and asked him what it was like to be the pastor of a famous church. He said, I guarantee you one thing, the notoriety is definitely exceeded by the headaches. It seems that it is always that way. Here we see as the words of Jesus divide those who followed him we see defection, and we see deterioration. It threatened to become complete. And Jesus also gave the twelve an opportunity to go away. He always does. You know there is a handle on the door on your side of your relationship to God. People do defect. They do it all the time. Paul said of his young friend Demas, Demas has forsaken me, loving this present world more than the one to come. Defection occurs, and he always gives the chance to bail out. But if you stay, he is Lord, and he is in control. People who know the Lord Jesus Christ have a greater capacity for being absolutely, totally miserable than a lost person ever thought about. Because prior to conversion, that is our nature. And we are going downstream with our nature without God. But once he comes within, everything that we do in our hearts and in this life are swimming upstream against the power and the mind and the character of the age and the native nature of our human hearts. The question that he asked, the way that it is stated, the words that are used... Indicate that he was seeking a no answer. No, we do not want to go away. His uncompromising teaching of the truth sifted the ranks of those who followed down to those who really meant business. Again, allow me to quote from William Barclay Some of them saw quite clearly where Jesus was heading. It was not possible to challenge the authorities and the powers like that and get away with it. He was heading for disaster and they got out in time. They were fair weather followers. They had come to Jesus to get something out of him. And when it came to suffering and to giving for him, they quit. When following was romance and glamour, they would follow. But when it was a hard way and a tough job, they left him. How sad to read the words that from that time many withdrew and followed no more. With Him. And there are probably in every congregation, everywhere, there are those who, by reason of some offense or some rebellion or some hurt, some heartache, some deficiency, there are those who no longer follow with Him and we need to remember that it is our stated objective to present the gospel to everyone everywhere and to press the claims of Christ to their hearts in a winsome and loving way so that they come to him but it is also our responsibility to bind up the brokenhearted it is our responsibility to draw gently those who have defected, not in recrimination, not in judgment, but in love to draw them back to Him. It will always be true that His words are dividing words. It will never be different than that. But let us be certain that the division is because of the Word and not because of our neglect That allows people to defect Without drawing them back And then notice in verses 68 and 69 Here are desirable words Simon Peter answered and said Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life And we have believed and have come to know That you are the Holy One of God We've seen defection and deterioration But here at the core of his followers is determination Peter's reply is a magnificent display of sturdy truth I like Peter Peter would be the kind of guy I could rub shoulders with Because he messes up at least as much as I do But yet often it is Peter who finds the words. It is Peter who has the courage. It is Peter who steps out of the boat to walk on the water, mistaken though it may be. It is Peter who swings the sword so poorly. He had not taken sword drill recently, I guess, in the garden and trying to cut a man's head off, got an ear instead. It is Peter stepping forward who finds... The truth and states the truth His reply showed the exclusiveness of the disciples' faith Now this was a great step forward to them To crystallize these things into these words It shows the exclusiveness of their faith He says to Jesus in effect Lord, who else is there? Where could we go if not for you? It shows the firmness of the faith. You have the words of eternal life. It shows the finality of their faith. Lord, you are the one. His words are winsome, loving, desirable words. This new awareness, this giant leap for the twelve came at a time when his popularity was waning. They had reveled in the crowds and in their Closeness to Jesus But from this point on The crowds begin to diminish Until there are only a few And it took courage To stand by him now But they had that courage They had seen him pray Teach Love And do wonders They knew his power And now they knew There was nowhere else to go One of my favorite Preachers, in talking about the nature of conversion, used to say that loving Jesus is not enough to be saved. In fact, he said, any idiot loves Jesus. That's not enough. We must recognize in Him not a friend but the friend Not someone to follow, but Lord of lords, King of kings. Not a path to God, but that no one comes to the Father but by Him. We must come to the place where we follow Him, not that our needs are met, not because there is fellowship, not because there is support, but because He is the one who has and who gives life to us. And then notice in verses 70 and 71, his words are distinct words. Distinct words. Jesus answered them and said, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The language of Jesus was strong. He had a way of being very direct. And when he says, Here, one of you is a devil, this word elsewhere in the New Testament is applied to Satan. It is a very strong statement. Even one of the devil's own is now following, faithfully following the Lord Jesus. And it is good for us to be aware that faithfulness, the way we measure faithfulness most often by way of activity and involvement in the ongoing uh, things that a church does, that that kind of faithfulness is no guarantee. Judas Iscariot held the only elected position of leadership among the disciples. The gospel records about the last night of the Lord Jesus' earthly life would indicate to us that until that time, not one of the disciples had had any suspicion or any misgiving that Judas was anything other than one fit to stand beside the Lord Jesus and to help lead them. They had utter trust in Him. Now, you know, one of the things that this ought to teach us is that if the Lord Jesus wound up with one of 12 who was bogus, we will not really have much better luck screening than he did. Always we want to uh, see that someone uh, affiliated in joining a church has a personal relationship, a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we were to ask in this room, there are a number of you who would say, I came to the church before I came to Jesus. I went through the baptismal waters and I was unsaved and I was a member of the church. And perhaps it will always be so. We cannot perfectly correct that, but we can always be careful. For even a face-to-face relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ did not guarantee that Judas was genuine. The criterion that we ought to measure by is obedience to God, not the level of our activity. And what a warning it is to us. Paul said of himself, Oh, that when I have preached to others, I myself might be cast away. The Lord Jesus Christ knew the hearts of men. Dr. Harry Ironside made this observation. He knew what was going on in their hearts. He knew when anyone made a profession that wasn't genuine. He knows today. The Son of God knows whether you are genuine or not. Your friends may not know those close to you may not know but he knows whether you have really put your trust in him let us seek to be real before him there must be reality in our faith the standard is obedience to words to the words of life of the lord jesus And every one of us should pray often, as the psalmist did, who can understand his own ways, cleanse me from secret faults. Judas Iscariot had it all. He had everything that earmarked him for greatness, for leadership, for productivity. But at the heart, he did not have Jesus so I urge you with the words of the apostle examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith make certain your calling and your relationship to him and if you would have to acknowledge even if you've tried to deny it and not think about it if you would have to acknowledge I have come to him since I came to the church or I am in the church, but I have never come to Him, then you need today, right where you are, to open your heart, to beg Him for mercy, forgiveness of your sins, and trust Him as your Savior. Do not fear embarrassment. Do not fear what someone may think. What everyone will think is sheer uncut joy that someone else has come to him let him be your Lord do not tempt the Lord do not leave yourself in a place where you might share the fate of the one who was with him face to face but did not know him And let us be aware at all times that what goes on in the lives and the hearts of those around us is seldom reflected in their level of activity in the church, in their countenance. Many a glad countenance conceals a broken heart. Messiah did not come to rule as a king, to fix the economy, to destroy the enemies. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to die so that he might live again in our hearts. May we pray. Heavenly Father, you know the deepest places within us, the places where there are is so much that needs your help. I thank you that your voice in our world is the voice of Scripture, and I pray that on the wings of your Holy Spirit, your Word will cleanse and restore and heal and save as we have need. Father, I pray that you would give us a stronger desire to please you than the desire we often feel to impress each other. Do with us as you choose. Make us more like Christ. Glorify Him in our lives. Draw us to His feet every day. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We will stand in just a moment to sing a hymn of invitation. If you need the book, it will be hymn 361, wherever He leads, I'll go. I do not know your heart or your need, but it is known fully to the Lord Jesus. If you would trust him as your Savior, come let us pray with you about that. Better still, even now, call out to him and he will save you. And then come to share that with us. If you would come to plant your life here where you live, to be active, to be committed to the Lord through the ministry of of this congregation we invite you to join the church if you would come to kneel and pray whatever the need if you would commit your life again to the Lordship of Christ what he would have you do do it today it will never be any easier than it is right now there will never be a better time because the time when he speaks the time when he calls the time when the heart feels that tug is when we are to respond what he would have you do do it right now do it quickly as we stand while we sing